Did you know that the second coming of Christ in the Bible is more times than the first coming of Christ? There are enough references to the return of Christ that one sermon in every five ought to be preached on the second coming of Jesus. So praise God. It's a great biblical truth. Read the book of 1 Thessalonians, and every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with the promise of Jesus coming back. Every chapter. There are five chapters there, and every one, Paul says, and he's coming. So thank you, choir, so much. You know, um, Thirty-two years ago, I preached a series of messages entitled, Will America Survive? Now, that was 32 years ago when I preached that series of messages. The first one was the attack from without, and at that time, communist aggression, 32 years ago, was widespread, and I talked about, you know, the threat of war, nuclear war. And I called it the attack from without. And then the second message I preached, Will America Survive, was entitled Russia and Biblical Prophecy. But then the third message that I preached in that series 32 years ago was the attack from within. And so recently I got a hold of the uh, tape and we made it into a CD of the message that I preached 32 years ago, the attack from within. And so I want to today, almost exactly verbatim, not exactly, I want to preach you that that message on America, will it survive, and I'm going to talk about the attack that's going on from within. The thing that alarmed me The five things that I touched on 32 years ago are more true today than they were 32 years ago. They have rapidly increased, rapidly increased. It is alarming how far we've come in these five areas in 32 years. And you will see how true it is. I got three scriptures I want to read and then get right, pray and get right into the message The first scripture is Psalm 11, 1 through 3. And we'll be putting those on the uh, screen for you. Psalm 11, 1 through 3. Great psalm. All right, it says, "In, in, in the Lord, all right, it's on the screen so you can see it. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain?" Then the next verse, for look, the wicked bend their bow, that they make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot in the darkness at the upright in heart. Now I want to stay right there a moment. I want you to look at that. The wicked bend their bow, that they may make ready their arrow on their string that they may shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. An arrow to the heart of the upright. And then, of course, the next verse is really the foundation. It says this, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's talking about a nation. 
And the same thing is true of your individual life, if the foundations are destroyed. But in, in, we're going to look at it purely from national. The wicked shoot an arrow in the darkness at the heart of the upright. And then he says, but if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then you go over to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 34. And it once again gives us a word in Proverbs 13, 14, verse uh, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. Boy, isn't that a great statement? Righteousness in the lives of its people, in its government. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And then, of course, in Proverbs 29, 2, there's another verse that talks about uh, a nation and its people. And in Proverbs 29, 2, it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Now, think about that now. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. Let's pray just for a moment. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'll give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, what he's saying to us, and show us what the righteous can do when the foundations are being destroyed. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I preached this message this morning with conviction, deep conviction. We have many beliefs, but few convictions. We do not live by our beliefs. We live by our convictions. You can believe something, and it won't change your life at all. But if you have a conviction, it alters the way you live. So I preach this message with deep conviction, but also I preach it with um, great compassion. You know, when a person preaches a message like this, they say, well, he must be angry at something. No, I'm not angry at anything or anyone. I don't preach this message in anger. I don't preach with any malice, any malice to the intent of hurt another. I have no malice whatsoever in my heart when I preach this message. And when I preach this message, it's not to be judgmental or to have an intolerant attitude. But it is simply to declare the truth. And it is not my words that judge a man. It is the word of God that judges a heart. It's not me that's intolerant to evil. It is God's word. And I believe his word. So therefore, at times I speak words that are judgmental and words that are intolerant. But I can say with a clear conscience that I speak the truth in love. Edward Gibbons wrote a, a monumental book called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire existed 2,000 years ago. It was the most powerful empire in the world. The Roman armies encircled the world. And when Rome spoke, people listened and responded. 
Edward Gibbons in his great work said there were five reasons that Rome fell. And by the way, it did not fall by any attack from without. No army could match the army of Rome. Not at all. Rome did not fall from without by the attack of an enemy. Rome fell from within because of five reasons that it fell from within. Five. And you're going to see, well, Brother Fred, that's just where we are today. You're exactly right. And this was written about an empire that existed 2,000 years ago, which proves that people, time changes, but people never change apart from an encounter with Jesus Christ. Gibbons said this, the first reason for the decline and fall of the Roman Empire was the rapid increase in divorce and the undermining of the sanctity of the home. He said the cause was that marriage was under attack and the home was under attack and there was a decline and a getting away from the sanctity and the importance of the home in society. And for that reason, that was one of the reasons that Rome fell. Listen to the second reason. He said the second reason Rome fell from within was the spiraling of taxes and extravagant spending. You know, that sounds like America. The sanctity of home, the marriage is under attack. And I don't have to tell you about the extravagant spending of our nation. I mean, we're, back when I preached this 32 years ago, our debts, our, our national debt was in the billions. Now it is $17 trillion. And so the very thing that caused Rome to fall, the spiral of taxes and extravagant spending. The thir- third thing that caused Rome to fall, and Gibbons was exactly right. He said there was a mounting craze for pleasure, just a mounting craze for pleasure and an increased brutality in sports. You know, like you, I enjoy sports and I love them. But you know, on any given Sunday in football season, there will be a number of people in church, but there'll be millions of people filling stadiums all across America, shouting and screaming, spending hours pulling for their team. And they're concerned now about concussions and the football and brutality. But you know, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll show you how far we've progressed uh, since I preached this 32 years ago. Now they have what they call cage fighting, where two people get in a ring, they don't have any gloves, they just have something wrapped around their hands, and they not only fight with their fists, but they kick with their legs. You know, I don't know what you call it, kickboxing or something. But they literally beat each other to a pulp. I mean, they're just, and and finally, when a person's about to die, they say, okay, this other guy wins. I I hope you don't watch it. I've watched it one time, and I'll tell you the honest truth. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. I thought he was going to kill him before he got through. It's brutal. Hey, by the way, have you thought about how much violence and brutality is in movies today? You you, You want to sell a movie? Make it as gory and bloody and violent Lord, I don't know where they get all this stuff. And they got dinosaurs chasing everybody. I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. 
I remember when I was growing up, I went to a movie, and, and they didn't have anything like that, but they had one where there was an octopus that wrapped his things around somebody and was going to drown him. I never got over that. I'm still worried about it. Here I am, 76 years of age. I can see that octopus coming after him. It leaves an impression on you. The mounting craze for pleasure and in, in, increased brutality of sports. The fourth reason, the building of gigantic armaments and the failure to realize the problem was the moral decay of the people within. Rome just got bigger armies and bigger weapons, but at the same time, the moral decay of Rome was rapidly, rapidly increasing. But then this is going uh, to surprise you. No, it won't surprise you. You know what uh, the fifth cause was? The decay of religion. There was a fading of faith into mere form. And it had no impact and guidance on the people. Now think about this. The fifth thing, that religion was just mere form. And the faith was fading into the pact that it had no impact and influence on society and no guidance. And Rome fell from within. And the greatest empire up until that time became nothing. All right? Now, I want to talk about, um, as I did 32 years ago, uh, I want to talk about the root of the problem. We know what they were, but what was the root of the problem? And basically, I want to address what's the root of the problem today. Because America has all of these going on. The home is under attack. Uh, extravagant spending. We're spending ourselves into bankruptcy as a nation. There's a mounting craze for pleasure. Sports become more brutal. We're putting all our security in this and that and are not looking at the way America is morally decaying. And I don't have to tell you that religion is mere form and it's faded, uh, just fading and is not having any impact or guidance on our nation. Now, now, what's the cause of it? All right, now, here, here's the first thing. And you, you, you just got to believe this, and you will believe it because it's biblical. I never will forget what Ian Thomas said, the great man of God. He described in, in one of our sessions when he was with us, he said, now, let me talk to you about an animal. He said, an animal has a body, a soul, and he has instinct. In other words, an animal has body and an animal has emotions. Now, if you've got a dog, you know they got emotions. You know how that goes. They'll worry you to death, want something to eat. But I mean, they got, I mean, an animal has a body. They can feel emotions. They grieve when you're not there and pout when you're gone, don't take them with you. I mean, they do, but they are governed by instinct. But then the human beings, he said, no, we have a body, and we have a soul, and we have a spirit, but our spirit was to be inhabited by God, and we were not to be guided by instinct. We were to be guided by the Spirit of God. Okay, so here you go. Here's an animal, body, soul, and instinct. You take away that instinct of that animal, and he's helpless. 
I'm thinking about the salmon that, you know, is hatched at one place, and then it gets older and swims downstream and goes out in the ocean, and then at a certain time when it's going to lay at eggs, it goes right back up the stream, right back up to the place where it was born. How in the world does he know to do that? How does he find it? It's called instinct. The ducks fly south in the winter. They got it formed in a V just right to break the, the wind draft on it. What in the world is that? That's God created instinct. But now, but you take that instinct away and they're helpless. Look, God created us a body, soul, and spirit with God's spirit to live in us. And we were to be led by the spirit of God. We were to make decisions. We were to go form a nation and a direction under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. But you take the spirit of God out of a man. You take God's spirit out of man's spirit, and he is absolutely helpless. He cannot, have you ever wondered, how, how can we be so stupid as to spend trillions of dollars that we don't have it? How can we ever be so stupid to legalize things that cause people to die? You say, well, good gracious, it's like there's a cloud of deception over, over uh, hovering over a nation and over our world. What's the problem? I'm going to tell you the problem. We've got a body and a soul, and many people have powerful minds. Hey, by the way, your soul, you have a mind, and, and God gave Adam a powerful mind. And man still has a powerful mind. It's amazing what man can do with his mind. But he doesn't have the spirit of God. And for that reason, he, he, is, he has no clear direction and understanding of the purpose and will of God for his life. So the heart of the problem is this, that men, mankind, now you've got to stay with me, has a sinful nature. We've got a body. We've got a soul. Our spirit is no longer inhabited by God. It's called the nature of Adam. It's called the spirit of man. And it is a sinful nature. When Adam fell, he went from a place where the spirit of God lived in him till he, God's spirit left Adam when he sinned. And everybody born from Adam except to the present, except Jesus, was born with the Adamic nature. You say, well, Jesus didn't have the Adamic nature. No, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit into Mary. He had no earthly father. He's the only person born since Adam who did not have a sinful nature because of the virgin birth. Okay, so here we are trying to govern a world and form a world and, 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 and build a society with people who have a sinful nature. And it's called self. It's called greed. And so that is at the root of the fact. Now, you, you say, Brother Fred, are you telling me that when I was born, I was born with a sinful nature? You were. Yeah, you were. And I guarantee you, I had one. And, and my, you know, my, 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 the, the power of my sinful nature was broken when I got saved. But I still got flesh that tempts me, and it tries to rise its head up. But the great thing is this. In the Christian's life, the power of the Adamic nature has been broken and put to death. And while we still battle the flesh, we have victory over it because it has no power over us. The Bible says we are dead to sin and alive to God. Before you get saved, you're alive to sin and dead to God. Before you get saved, you're alive to sin and dead to God. And after you get saved, you're dead to sin and alive to God. 
And so here we are trying to create a world and a society with people who have a sinful nature. And no wonder we're in the mess that we're in. I mean, you, you, you say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm pretty good. I know you are, but you're not perfect. And I promise you, nobody ever had to teach you to lie. My mother never called me and said, okay, Fred, it's time to learn how to lie. She never made me practice lying. She said, come on in, I want to teach you how to be selfish. She didn't have to teach me how to be selfish. I was born selfish. Now, don't look so spiritual to me. You know that's exactly the way you were born. So do, now, we got, we got the big picture. We're living in a world governed by people who have a sinful nature and who know, do not have the Spirit of God living in them. And so, therefore, they make decisions that lead in the wrong direction. Now, for a Christian, it's totally different. And that's why the church is so important. And that's, I'll talk about that in a moment. But now, let me tell you the result of this. All of this led to, um, to the sinful nature of man coming up with two isms, two isms. Now, in 32, when I pre- 32 years ago when I preached this message, it was communism. And at that time, since 1933, it had been humanism. Now, you understand that they're both the same thing, just two different names. Now, we know that Russia was communist. We know in the Cold War that with Reagan and things that happened, that was broken, and many countries broke off from Russia. Of course, now they're trying to take them back. But still, China is a communist nation. It has communism, which is atheism. Atheism. It's atheism. The Chinese say there is no God. They're they're, they're, they're communists, they're atheistic. And the second thing they have is socialism. All right, it's atheistic communism and it's socialism. De- redistribution of wealth so that everybody is taken care of and everybody has the same income, so-called socialism. Well, that's what humanism is. See, they knew we were, Americans were too smart to embrace hu- communism, so they just called it another name. And they called it humanism. And in 1933, uh, Humanist Manifesto I was printed in 1933. Then in 1976, they came out with the second edition of Humanist Manifesto II. And humanism is exactly uh, the root. Let me just tell you this. When I preached it 32 years ago, humanism was rising it was getting stronger. It was, in, it was just affecting us in every way. And, 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 I, and I'll show you, but, but see, it's rapidly. In the last 32 years, it has rapidly increased till it's the most dominant force in America. The most dominant force has more influence than religion in this nation. More, you see it very obviously. You see, we got to understand the relationship between humanism, which is an atheistic philosophy. That's what it is. They, they, they call themselves non-theists, which is an intellectual way of saying I'm an atheist. That's all it is. Humanism is the dominant force in America. It is molding the direction we go in and the things that we're facing. And it was rapidly becoming that way 32 years ago. 
Well, think about the humanism and religion. And we're going to put on the screen some quotes from the Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2. And it, it, we'll get those up there now. And, and I, I, just, I, I just took these off of, uh, uh, out of the Humanist Manifesto, and I put it on a piece of paper, and uh, we're going to put it up. Here it is. All right, look at the first thing. Now, this came right out of Humanist Manifesto 2. Humanism, there are many kinds of humanism, I'm quoting, that exist in the contemporary world. The varieties and emphasis of naturalistic humanism include their scientific humanism, ethical humanism, democratic humanism, religious humanism, Marxist humanism, and we'll go on. There's free thought, which is a form of humanism. There's atheism, agnosticism, skepticism, deism, rationalism, et et ethical culture, and liberal religion. Notice that last part, liberal religion. All claim to be heir of the humanist tradition. So humanism go under, goes under many, many names. But the thing you've got to understand now, that it is purely purely atheistic. And we're going to put on the screen now what they say about God. It says here, now look at this. This is in their Bible. Oh, by the way, by the way, you know, we had a suit in Mobile back uh, many years ago. Uh, a man by the name of Jeffrey filed a suit in Mobile to get all religion and all mention of God out of the public schools in Mobile. So a group of Christians got together, and we filed a suit against that. And the whole purpose of the suit was to prove that humanism was a religion. And so we had some experts, and then we had some good lawyers, and it became a nationwide case, a nationwide. People from many different television stations and others came and interviewed it. And the thing is, here's the deal. We won the case. We won the case. And the judge declared that humanism was a religion. And so therefore was, had, the, had the same restrictions that any religion did. But as you know, the courts, the, the next court up, overruled it and said it wasn't true. And I'm going to show you how that's working today. But guess what? I read this this week. Guess what? Now in the army, when it says, what is your religious preference? You know what? This guy fought for two years for two years, for humanism to be recognized as religion. And this article says, after two years, where it says religious preference, he can now put that he's a humanist, which means he's an atheist, which also means that that would open the door to having humanist chaplains in the service to minister to those who are humanist. So now the army's recognized it as a religion. So obviously the government has. But, but, but you don't, you, now look, look at what they say about God. Now, now and you're going to see why it's so significant. You're gonna, in a minute, you're going to see why it is so damaging. It says, as in 1933, humanists still believe that traditional theism, believing in God, especially faith in a prayer-hearing God, assumed to live and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them is an unproved and outmoded 
faith. They say, hey, there's nothing to religion, nothing to it. There's no God. Now look at this, salvationism. Hey, by the way, we say we're saved. Salvationism based on affirmation is, is harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. Reasonable minds look for other means of survival. They said this thing about, you know, uh, that, that, that there is no God that he loves and cares for people and answers their prayers. And anybody that believes in salvation, they just, it's based on mere affirmation and it's harmful to them. If you believe you can be saved and be, be forgiven, it's harmful for you. And reasonable minds look for other means of survival. It goes on. This is what they believe. Religious humanists believe that the universe is self-existing and not created. Now, you're going to see how that affects education. You see, they say that the, they believe in the Big Bang Theory. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I think people, you know, I say, no wonder. Man, it's obvious man has a fallen nature and that his mind that, all, that the way this universe came into existence, that billions of years ago, there was a big explosion, and here we are. You say, Brother Fred, anybody that believes that is an idiot. And I say, amen. You say, that's not kind. I'm not trying to be kind. I'm just saying it's stupid. To say that there was an explosion, and here you sit with a body that can only be explained as a magnificent, omnipotent, all-powerful God. It's an insult. It's an insult is what it is. It says the universe, it says humanism believes that man is a part of nature. He has emerged as a part of a continuous process. Did you know you evolved? You evolved? Did you know you evolved? Oh, yeah, your, your process of evolution. An amoeba was started existing in the sea. Now I want to know who committed the sea, uh, uh, created the sea, and then I want to know who created the amoeba, okay? I don't even know what an amoeba is. But anyway, it was created, and it was in the sea, and it got, got out and start, on land. And soon it grew legs, and soon it grew feet, and soon it grew more, and soon it was walking upright, and it became a monkey or a, a, a gorilla, whatever, and then it evolved, and here we are. Now, I want to say this. If it's a process of evolution, why are there still monkeys? I mean, why are there still those? I thought we were evolving. But you see, that's what they believe. Oh, and you're going to see how it affects everything we do. The universe is self-existent and uncreated, and, and, and we are part of an of a, a evolutionary process. We're just a higher form of animal. And that leads to all kinds of decisions how people are treated. If you believe a person is a higher form of animal, animal, you treat them like an animal. Here's the, look at this. Boy, this is, this is what they teach and what they believe. Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2. We can discover no divine purpose or providence for the human race. They says, you have no divine purpose and you have no divine providence. You're just born and you just die. And there's no, they say, there's no evidence that death exists beyond the grave, to quote them. So we have no divine purpose because there is no divine, no God, or no providence. While there's much we do not know, you better believe it, there's a whole lot they do not know. Humans are responsible for what we are and what we will become. 
And then they make one other statement. Look at this. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. You say, Brother Fred, that is pure atheism. It, it, it's, it's the broad road that leads to destruction and to hell. My Lord, pure atheism. But you know who signed Humanist Manifesto too? John Dewey, who was the father of progressive education in America. He signed Humanist Manifesto too. I could give you the name of all the Nobel laureates and all the, quote, smart people that signed it. It's amazing. All the college presidents, all the college professors. I mean, it's unbelievable, the people that signed it. I, I read them, and I said, you know, they're smart in this world's knowledge, but they don't know anything. Professing themselves to be wise, Proverbs says, they became fools. That's what, that's what Romans 1 says. Professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. And changed the image of the incorruptible God like to a corruptible man. What they're saying is, get it. You are your own God. That's who you are. You're your own God. Okay, you say, well, they, they have a right to believe that. But oh, when they take over the colleges, which they've done. And when they take over the seminaries, which they've done. And when students go into these places and they're taught from a purely humanistic uh, 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 foundation, you're going to find how it's just absolutely sold us down the drain. Well, the second thing I want you to notice is this. And we're going to talk about how this affects each area. There's a humanism in religion, but no, wait a minute, this. How did we get where we are morally? Well, we know we've got a sinful nature. And we know that nature is prone to sin, whether it's selfishness or gross sin. It doesn't matter what it is. Sin is sin. Some are more worse than others. But how did we get to the place? Now, there was a time when Americans believed in moral absolutes, which means there is a God. And since there is a God, there are moral absolutes. For example, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt have no other gods before. You see, there was a time when the vast majority of Americans believed in moral absolutes. That there is a God and there are moral things that he declares to be morally wrong. And they're always wrong and they're never right. And you don't change them because they're moral absolutes. Well, 65% of the people... Uh, adults in America that were survived, surveyed don't believe in moral absolutes. They don't believe in it. Well, then where did they get that? I'm going to tell you where they got it. All right, under humanism and morality. All right, now look at this. This is what they say about morals. I'm quoting from their book, their Bible, Humanist Manifesto 2. We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Now, now, wait a minute. Now, think about what they're saying. Moral values desire, de, 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 uh, derive their source from human experience. In other words, humans determine what is moral and what is immoral. But now, wait a, wait a minute. They go on and define it more. Ethics is autonomous. 
In other words, you know what autonomous means? That each group determines what their ethics are. In other words, it's autonomous. It's not there no more. So each group determines what their ethics are. All right, let's just go back. Do you know that Lenin, when he was the ruler of Russia, killed hundreds of millions of Russians? Nobody said anything about it. Stalin did the same thing. Hitler killed or had killed six million Jews. Where, 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 was, a, where was there any moral standard? Where was there any moral absolute? I mean, you say, how in the world could people stand by and see Stalin killed millions and millions of Russians and, and, and Lenin do the same thing and we see genocide in all these countries in the world today. Let me tell you why. Because they've got a sinful nature. But let me tell you what the problem is in America. Ethics is autonomous. The group you're with determines what's right, and the group you're with determines what's wrong. And then this is the thing that really has killed us. Ethics are situational. Do you know what that says? Each group decides what's moral or immoral. And then the situation, stay with me, determines if it's right. And the situation determines it's wrong. It's called situational ethics. So nothing's wrong in itself. Now there are laws that came out of biblical foundations about not killing and not stealing and all that stuff where they're still by law because they derive their moral standards from the word of God. But you take away those things like that and, and, and what you've got here is nothing is wrong in itself. The situation determines if it's right. And the situation determines if it's wrong. Now, you've got to understand, that opens the floodgates. So you say, it's all right to do this. Well, you know, the Bible says it's wrong. Well, we don't believe the Bible, and we don't believe in God. So this is the situation. And the situation determines if it's right and wrong. And, and notice what they say here. That ethics is autonomous and situational, needing no theological nothing to do with God, or ideological sanction, ethics stem from human needs and interest. I'm going to show you how this has just brainwashed our people. There's another thing that they say here. Uh, uh, to deny this distorts the whole basis of life. Human life has, has meaning because we create and develop our futures. But there's another one right after that I want you to see about... Uh, uh, repressing of sexual conduct. Uh, have you got that? Uh, all right, it says, uh, we strive, now this is their, their motto, we strive for the good life here and now. The goal is to pursue life's enrichment. You see, have you ever noticed that the whole thing of uh, television advertisement is a uh, Man, we've got to be happy now. Well, I don't want to be sad, but you've got to be. And, and you know, you've you, you got to pursue pleasure. Because let me tell you something. If you don't know this, you, you only go around once, and you better go around with gusto. Oh. And so the whole deal is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. 
They don't, you may die, and they know that, but they don't think there's anything that exists after that. So, so there's, the way it's, humanism has affected us religiously and ethically. All right, so we move on to the next thing, and that is this. Uh, humanism, but I, I want to, before I get to that, I want to talk to you about humanism and education. We need to talk about that. Okay, college professors, by and large, are humanist. You see, they, they've studied, they got PhDs, they become intellectually, they think superior, and they've got everything figured out, and they, uh, they're humanist. And so what, what affects the way they teach the college students who go to college? They teach them humanism. Oh, they don't come out and say, but they, they just make light of, 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 the, of the Bible, full of myths and things. They make light of, of moral standards. They make light of all this stuff. And see, so here we send somebody off to college, and they've, they've been hearing all along that, that, you know, that their moral standards and that we, we need a relationship with God and that he's real, and we need, a, we need a Savior, and they've heard this. But if they haven't embraced it, if we haven't, if we've just kind of fooled around, they go up there and they hear this, and they say, wow, I can live any way I want to. Ethics are situational. The situation determines if it's right. The situation, hey, there's no moral standard I have to adhere to. The group I'm with determines what the moral standard is. And man, it is absolutely, you, you, you get the minds of the people that go on to universities and college and you, you fill them with humanism. You fill them with humanism and then they go out and they get positions of leadership and authority and then they begin to make decisions based on humanism where there is no God. And by the way, they have worked it out where humanists determine what goes in the textbooks. That's why they took out all the references to the Puritans and all the references to creationism, all the references to, to Columbus and the uh, the first colonies, all the references to our nation being founded on God. That, you know who took that out? The humanists did. They, they, they oversaw the writing of the textbooks. And there are many, many godly teachers in the public schools. And there are some godly professors. But I'm telling you, they're limited in what they can teach. Limited. They're told what they can teach and can't teach. Well, who tells them what they can teach? Humanism. Who tells them what they can't teach? Humanism. It's infated. Listen, as the education goes, so goes the mind and direction of people. And friend, I'm telling you, we are, we are absolutely now engulfed in an educational system across this country that is purely humanistic. And I'm telling you, apart from an act of Almighty God, it'll be no turning around of this country. You just need to understand that it filters down. Let me tell you what liberal theology did. When they, humanism came out and they began to teach quote, religious humanism in our seminaries. I went to a seminary for one year that was full of humanism. Humanism. And they, they denied the, the miracles and they said you have to take the uh, myths out of the New Testament and half of what Jesus said wasn't true and half of what they said about him wasn't true. And man, they were just absolutely coming and they were humanists and, and they were hiding behind religion and they were trying to destroy the faith that I'd been saved under. And I'm telling you, 
And I saw one young man after another. I saw their faith broken down. And I saw them absolutely uh, get destroyed. And I saw them one by one drop out of seminary and and go on another way. And, And they just absolutely, it was just tragic. Man, I was praying one time with golf with two guys that went to seminary with me. And, and, and one of them was named Larry, and I've got the other name. And they came to seminary with a zeal and a fire. And I want you to know, as we were playing golf, they started making fun of Jesus saves. And they said this. They said, Jesus saves green stamps. I said, my God, how did you get to that place? You say, Brother Fred, you exaggerate. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, when you send your student to the University of Alabama or Auburn, and there are godly, some godly people there, and there's some godly Christian organizations that are doing their best, and there's some Christians on campus that are taking a stand. I'm not saying that, but I'll tell you, when you've got thousands of students subjected to humanism, what you're going to do is you're going to change the culture in which you live. And it's happening. I'm telling you it is. And so we, God has got to intervene. And, 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 and listen, I, I'm not going to be ugly, but did you know, 32 years ago when I preached on this, I saw that what liberal theology was doing to major religions, because at that time, 32 years ago, in the USA Presbyterian denomination, not the Southern Presbyterians, but the USA Presbyterian denomination, You know what the big debate 32 years ago was at their religious convention? Whether or not to ordain homosexuals. The same thing was true 32 years ago in the Episcopal denomination. Christ Anglican Church over on Halls Mill Road is a direct effect, a direct product of the fact that the Episcopalians said they were going to ordain homosexuals. And so they pulled out of the church, had to give up their building because the church owned, and built a church out on uh, Halls Mill Road because they said, we, we believe the word of God and we'll not compromise it. Thank God for them. And today, you know what, where, where most religious people are in America? I mean, I'm talking about religious people. They're universalist. That you say, let me ask you one question. Is Jesus Christ the only way for a person to be saved? Oh, he is. But oh, they'll, well, you know, I don't want to be too narrow. Narrow is the way and narrow is the road that leads to life eternal. Jesus. I, I mean, here's a good Muslim or a good Hindu or a good Jew or a good... So Let me say something. Listen to me. I don't want anybody to go to hell. Jesus died so no one would go to hell. And the burden and passion of the church ought to be that we want everybody on the face of this earth to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That should be our passion and our burden. We're not here to judge or condemn. We're here to say Jesus did not come to condemn you, but Jesus came to save you. But at the same time, we cannot... listen. Either the Bible's true or it's not true. And that's the problem. They think some of it's true and some of it's not true. But if it's true, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God by me. Now, what part of that do we not understand? Jesus, you're too narrow. He said, no, no, here's the truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among where we must be saved. But you say, Brother Fred, 
They're sincere. Listen to this verse. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. There's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is the way of death. And so humanism has absolutely affected the religious denominations in this nation. It has absolutely affected our moral standards. And, 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 and so that's why we've got all this stuff going on about same-sex marriage. And that's why we've got all this stuff on saying we have to accept alternate lifestyles. Like, hey, an alternate lifestyle, according to the Bible, is adultery. An alternate lifestyle, according to the Bible, is homosexuality or lesbianism. An alternate lifestyle, concern, as far as the Bible goes, is drunkenness. I mean, come on. But you know, I'm telling you, they're trying to silence us. They want to silence the church. Now, I'm telling you, you say you're just an absolute radical and you're an extremist. I am not. I'm telling you the truth. And I'm going to prove it to you, that they want to silence the church. That is their purpose. So they threaten you. You know, uh, in the area of morality, drunkenness, pornography, all of those, you know, we, we just said everything, you know, they've legalized marijuana now. There is a med medical use, and that's good, but in, in Colorado, they've legalized it. Can I tell you one thing about that I found? Now, th this is true. A person who starts using drugs at a young age, say 10, 11, 12, 13, at that moment, they, at, at that moment, they stop maturing mentally and emotionally because they just stay right there. And one day they get off drugs and they're 18, but you know where they are emotionally? They're still 14. I've seen it time after time because it, it just numbs your brain. You don't have to experience all the emotions of life, the fear, the sorrow. The, no, you, you, you see, you just stay right there. And, 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 and the longer you stay there, the longer your growth is stunted, emotionally and in every way. By the way, and I'm going to tell you how to, what we can do, and we'll, I'll be through. All right, it's affected us religiously, ethically, educationally. And so, and governmentally, let me tell you about um, humanism. It's a socialistic form of government. And we're going to put it on the thing. They believe in the uh, equal distribution of wealth. It's, that's what communism does. And if we can get it up there, it's, it's, it, it talks about, it says here. Now look at this. I'm quoting from their Bible, the Humanist Manifesto. A socialized and, and competitive economic order must be established to the end that equitable distribution of the means of life be possible. Now, what we got to do, capitalism is wrong, where if you work hard and you do things and you make good money, that's fine. But, that, you know, that's not, that's not a good way. What we got to do is we got to have the equal distribution of wealth, whether a man works or doesn't work or a woman works or doesn't work. Socialism is the equal distribution of wealth. You take from the person who works hard and then you provide for people who don't work. I mean, it's just that, that, I mean, it's socialism, 
And that's what happened in Europe. And Europe's down the drain today. They've accepted a socialist form of government. And it doesn't work. They've had a socialist form of medicine where the government supplies the insurance and the medicine. That's all socialism. That's all it is. You say, well, why are people upset about Obamacare? Because it's socialism. That's what it is. Everybody looks to the government. I thought we looked to ourselves and to God and had a work ethic that caused us to do what we should do. By the way, if you get Social Security, the government's not giving you nothing. You paid it in. That's the reason you're getting it out. But 50% of the people in America now look to the government for some source of income. 50%. We are now a socialist nation. We are. No question about it. So we equal distribution of wealth. You've got too much money, you need to give it to this person over here. Hey, I believe in ministering to the poor and helping the poor. And we always do that, and under God we will, because the church, Paul said, remember the poor. Okay, I'm going to tell you what we can do. All right, here it is. This won't take me long. Number one, we've got to realize that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Now, we have been too apathetic, and we've been too um, caught up in our own way of life that we have not taken the stand. We have not stood the way we should. Uh, <clears throat> we have just kind of, and, and the way they have done it, y'all, is they use the courts. That's what they do. They use the courts. I'm going to show you how they do that. But see, the, we, we, we can make a difference. I mean, first of all, we have to repent for not being alert, not doing what we could when we saw humanism taking over our educational process, when we saw how they were taking things out of the textbooks in the public schools. And all. I mean, we, we, for some reason, we've been silent. We've been silent. And uh, we have to repent of that. And we have to say, God, we can't be silent. We can't be silent. We, we, have, to, we have to have a voice. And we have a voice. And so we cannot be silent. And we have to take a stand. Now, let, let me give you three examples of what happens when people take a stand. All right, when the guy on Duck Dynasty says some things very harshly about homosexual lifestyle. He may have been crude and vulgar, but he just said it's wrong and it's a sin and I don't believe in it. Okay, so they said, well, we're going to take you off uh, Arch and whatever that station is, A and G. We're going to take you off. And okay, the rest of the family said, well, if he goes off, we go off. Well, they started getting pressure from people, pressure from society, and had pressure and pressure and pressure and pressure, and guess what? They back on the air. They never went off. And it's still the most watched program in America. Now, what if they'd have just said, well, you know, if y'all don't like us, we'll just give in. Y'all can just put us off the air, and we'll just give in to your pressure not to speak on moral issues. But they didn't. Guess what? I'll give you another example of how we can make a difference. Well, Cracker Barrel followed that television state, the television network, and they said, we're going to take all the Duck Dynasty stuff out of Cracker Barrel. That lasted about three days. Because you know what I said? They don't know what they just did. Most of the people that eat in Cracker Barrel are poor, and they're conservative. 
Now, I'm, not, I'm just kidding about the poor stuff. I mean, <laughs> but I knew, I knew the people that ate in Cocker Barrel because I ate there, and they're conservative. And, buddy, they, uh, there was an outcry, and they got to apologizing and doing all this stuff and saying how sorry they were because I want to tell you what, what gets their attention is money. Money gets their attention. So we got power. We got power to stand if we stand united. I still believe that Oklahoma and Arkansas and all the, from Texas all the way over into the south, in the southeast, I believe there are enough people that if they stand on any issue together, any moral issue, I, I mean, I believe we can absolutely make a difference, but we cannot remain to be silent, and they're going to try to intimidate us by, by courts, saying, well, you speak out, and we're going to prosecute you. You speak out, and, and I'm telling you, let me tell you something that really, really, don't you love Hobby Lobby? Praise God. He's done told them, said, I will not provide contraceptives for my people. And he said, if you force me, I'll shut down every one of my stores, and 3,200 people will lose their job. Whenever you need something that Hobby Lobby has, you need to go to Hobby Lobby. That's where you need to go. You need to make, let, make a statement that, brother, we're going we're gonna to go with people that believe in freedom of religion and freedom of expression, and we're going to support people who stand for godly principles. Well, I got, I got really encouraged over this yesterday. A friend told me about two brothers in North Carolina, the Benham brothers. And they uh, uh, were real estate people. And they were going to have a reality show on HGTV. That's that uh, channel that shows people selling houses. It's all about real estate, you know. But they've been Christians since they were 12. One of the brothers recently spoke at a rally, and he spoke against abortion, and he spoke against uh, homosexuality and all forms of sexual sin, and he spoke against uh, uh, no-fault divorce. Well, one week before they were supposed to go on HGTV, they said, you're not going to go on. said, we're not going to give you any airtime. Well, then about three days later, the bank that they did business with they said, we're not going to do business with you anymore because of your moral stand. Well, guess what happened? Thank God there's some conservative people in North Carolina. Man, they rose up and they started calling SunTrust Bank and started flooding them and said, you cut their account off and every one of us are going to take our account out of your bank. Guess what? They changed their mind. <laughs> they came meekly forward. They came meekly forward. And said, now, we don't want to show partiality to anybody. Yeah, you do. You lying what you're doing. <laughs> so let me say something. All those encouraged me that if we will believe and we'll take a stand, we can make a difference, y'all. We can. We have to repent and say, God, forgive us for being silent. And, when, and the Benham brothers, you know what they said? I read it today. They said, they are trying to silence Christians. That's exactly what those two brothers said. And they are, and don't you kid yourself. And by the threat of lawsuit, I'm telling you, I'm so upset about this court system. I, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know. Let me just say this. Now, I want you to listen to this. California, as liberal as it is, passed an amendment, an amendment saying that they, they didn't want same-sex marriage. Guess what? The court system overturned it. Well, in Arkansas, just recently, they passed a statewide amendment. We have no same-sex marriage in Arkansas. And it was upheld by a local court. And then the Supreme Court of Arkansas, then another court judge in Arkansas, I don't know how he can do this, must have been a federal judge, said, no, it's unconstitutional, and he struck it down, and now against the will of the people, 
They've gone right back to same-sex marriages. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know how we can change the court system, but under God it needs to be changed. Because they are legislating morality. And, you know, there are 30 suits in 30, there are 30 states that outlaw same-sex marriage. There are 30 suits in those states, and they're asking the court to overturn that because it's unconstitutional. And I'm going to tell you what will happen. It will happen in Alabama. They'll overturn it and say it's unconstitutional. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know what, but I'm going to do something. I ain't got long to live, but I guarantee you one thing, it's time to do. Hey, you know, enough is enough. That's all I got to say. Enough is enough. And so I want to encourage you to, to us repent for not being on the front line like we should. We did take a stand when we had that court suit and won the case and the court sorted out. But we've been too silent. We've let them get away with too many things. And so we've got to take a stand. And by the way, this is my last thing. And we've got to pray, and I'm going to talk about that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a certain fast food train, chain that, boy, their advertisements for food are so pornographic, it is unreal. They show these two women woken up out of the ocean, and you can't tell if they've got no clothes on or not. And what they got on ain't much. And then they talk about and shows them in some seductive uh, pose eating a sandwich. I ain't going to tell you who it is, but they're eating a sandwich. You know who it is. You know who it is. And they, they confronted the owner of that chain, and he said, I'll do what I want to. I don't care what moral people say. Okay, then I won't eat any more, any more of his biscuits. That might help you who it is. And I hadn't gone and eaten any more biscuits. You say, it don't matter. Yeah, it does. If enough people don't eat those biscuits, it'll matter. We've got to pray. We just got to pray. We got to take a stand and we got to pray that American Christians will wake up. American Christians will wake up. We got to pray for the ministries on college campuses that are witnessing to young people and, 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 and caring about them and telling them the truth. We got to pray for those ministries and we have got to. But I'm, I'm telling you, we, we got to live holy lives. If we're like the world, the world's not going to listen to us. We got to live holy lives. We cannot live like the world. They've got to see a difference in us. So we've got to pray. We've got to live holy lives. We've got to be light. We've got to be light. A city set on a hill and cannot be hidden. And he says, you can't put your light under a bushel. The world says, put your light under a bushel. Please, we will not. We're going to be like a city set on a hill. We've got to be salt. Salt stops decay. The church has got to take a stand. There are enough Christians in America. I didn't say religious people. I have no confidence in religion. There are enough Christians in this world, that, in America, that we can make a difference. We can, and if we don't, we'll answer to God for it. You say, well, I'm too busy and I don't want to get involved. All right, you just let your grandchildren go down the drain. Just, okay, if that's what you want to do, they'll just go down the drain. See, we're not just fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for the generation of those 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. So we've got to pray. We've got to be holy. And we've got to take a stand. We've got to take a stand. And I'll tell you what, every time I find a way we can take a stand, we'll take it. We'll do it. There are enough people that know what's going on that we'll know when we need to say it's not going to be. And we can organize. And there's economic power among the Christians, at least in the 
about 50, 30 states in the South. There, there's, there's power. <laughs>